Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, fun to be here with you. It's, it's fun. You know, um, shoot. <laughs> I just, uh, it's good to see you. That's all. Man, it's been quite a week. Um, it's been quite a week. We, we had team night up at Tremont at our location up there Tuesday. What a phenomenal time of worship that was. Man, the true Jehovah for the first time, the, the God of the Bible. I love when Ryan says that, our location pastor up there. Um, Jesus, the I am, was worshiped and it was just on fire. So good. Exactly what I needed. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, this is a rough time of year for me. I don't know if you know much about my personal story. I think I've been struggling all week. I really needed Tuesday personally. Um, just because of the, you know, this week is, tomorrow's the anniversary of my brother's car accident. I think I've been struggling. It didn't hit me until those worship songs. I think that's why. Um, so, welcome to the, welcome to this. And I uh, have what I think is the start of probably the most important series. We, we uh, kind of dive into this series once every year and a half or two years. Some most important stuff. I really don't want to mess it up, so we're going to pray a little extra hard today, and uh, let's start. Dear God, we thank you. I just need you to empty me, and I need more of you. I think it's probably what we all need if we slow down enough to see um, kind of easily our lives get spun into distraction, you know. There's so many people like either online today or with us here in person that uh, pop into this message with all different kinds of struggles. Um, and you are the only one who knows our hearts completely. You are the only one who can deliver what we need. You are the only one who can give us the encouragement and the strength that we need, some of us, just to make it through today. I could use that. I'm sure I'm not alone. So just pray that your spirit would do what your spirit does and that maybe even more than last Sunday or the Sunday before, maybe even more than this morning on the ride in here, maybe even more than just as it was in the last couple of worship songs, maybe even more right now, that our hearts would be willing to let you do what you need to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, welcome to the struggle bus. <laughs> I'm desperately trying to get out of the driver's seat of the struggle bus this morning. I feel like I'm in the driver's seat going down the wrong road backwards, and I'm also the guy hanging on to the bumper for dear life. You ever feel like that in life? You ever feel like, man, I don't know if I'm taking us that great, and am I really driving or am I just hanging on? Maybe it's both, you know, like, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We're in our new series called Good New About Time, About Time for Some Good News. And over the next couple of weeks leading right up until Easter, we are unpacking what it's, what the, the central core, the place we get hope from, the most important stuff, the only stuff that matters in life, 
Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be unpacking that. And I, and I think the series is going to end, uh, man, well, I'm hoping it ends with some really awesome stuff. I got a challenge to throw at some of you, maybe even partway through this thing, and then we'll roll right into Easter. Uh, we're starting this message off talking about grace. And the title of today's message is called Grace Is. I want to read you a verse that's kind of the anchor for today with a with a clarification. You could spend your entire life learning about Jesus and going to church and still miss grace. I did. A whole lot. Grace is one of those things that I think when you start your journey with it, it really snowballs and there's no bottom to the depth of really understanding it or how it applies to you. I'm not talking about like grace, like you guys picked up on that, right? Like I'm not talking about grace church. I'm talking about where we got the name grace church from grace. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that I can never, this is maybe also why I've been struggling this week, I can never really capture it in one message. And so what we're going to do as we look at Jesus and we look at what he has done for us over the course of the next couple weeks and we take a different kind of approach to understanding the good news, the gospel over the next couple weeks, we're starting with grace is, but we're not ending grace is at the end of this message. We're going to be deepening our knowledge of what this word grace really means. But so much more than just learning grace in our heads, we need the word grace to train wreck our hearts. And that's why I'm struggling to come up with the words to capture how absolutely amazing. Sometimes you can see it in the eyes of an old saint when they're singing amazing grace, how sweet it is. And those tears trickle down over their cheeks and they, they're smiling while they're ugly crying. Sometimes you can see some of you old saints, you're good at the whole happy cry with the ugly cry face. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I just got the ugly cry face. Like my kids will catch me in a moment. And they'll be like, what's wrong with dad's face? Ew. You know, like <laughs> dad's crying. Is somebody, did somebody die? No, he's happy. What? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, we, need, we need grace to slip way past a theological understanding, way past intellectual consent to a heart reckoning with grace. It's just that important. Grace is. And the key verse, after that little disclaimer about how this message is going to fall way short in understanding grace, the key verse that I, I think we want to anchor it today on is found in Ephesians chapter 2 and 8 and 9. And I'm going to read it to you. Get your pens out. Take some notes. Grace is so important. It says this, For it is by grace, now you probably have heard this before if you spent some time in church, but maybe you never really heard it. For it is by grace, this might be a new concept to you. If you walked away from church a while ago, my guess is that maybe this is not part of your past experience. If you've only looked at religion from the outside and this is you're listening now or, or, or sitting here now because you're on some sort of search to find what's been missing and you're not convinced yet, 
if this Jesus is what's been missing, my guess is this is the thing that you haven't been able to put your finger on, but that has seemed like an evasive word in your life. All right, I said I was going to read it, right? I got distracted somewhere in there. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I feel like that's the most important thing for you to hear today, and I don't want my words to rush too quickly past it. I hate when preachers reread the verse, like everybody listening wasn't paying attention, or <laughs> I'm not reading it because I don't, I'm going to read it again, but I'm not reading it again because I don't think you were paying attention. I'm reading it again because this has to be louder than anything else I say today. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Through faith. This verse captures two really essential things, grace and faith. Something so important to grab onto and have impact our hearts, but something so easy to miss. You know, when the pressure's on, it's easy to miss stuff that's right there in front of you. How many people live their lives like this? I live my life like this. You know, one time uh, my mom who was telling me about my dad, and I was like, where's dad? And, he, and uh, does he help? And I was like a video about VBS. I'm like, what's dad help you with in VBS? Kind of like an interview office style VBS video. She said, dad, help me? Like, he's too busy looking for his wallet and his keys. He's not helping. He's off looking for his wallet and his keys. I thought that was hysterical and 100% accurate. <laughs> and I've realized that I have become my dad, which is a really good thing in a lot of ways, but not when you need your wallet and your keys. I don't know if you can relate, but I have ripped through garbage cans in McDonald's parking lots. Have, do you know, I don't think I communicated this clearly enough on the video for... <laughs> which is why we're working so hard to put them virtually in the room, our online campus with our YOLO project. But uh, I don't think I communicated or created the space for anyone to understand how gross that is. I don't think you understand. I can't talk about in church the things you find, not inside a McDonald's garbage can, but the garbage can, you know, Wayne, like maybe you knocked one over with your truck before or something. You can't talk about what is in a garbage can of a McDonald's in a parking lot at a McDonald's by the Interstate 81. You can't talk about it, but yet I could tell you about it because I have dug through a garbage can like to find my wallet that was on my dresser the whole time. <laughs> it's one of those like memories that make you gag. I did that because I knew it was going to make some of you gag, right? There. Like, it's easy in the pressure. Yeah, it's easy in the pressure to miss what's right in front of you. 
The more difficult life gets, the more stressed out you are, the busy you are, the more contention you feel in your relationships, the more you're struggling, the easier it is to miss what's right in front of you. Now, we're talking about some good news. And in the pressure of trying to live up to some spiritual standard that we think we place on each other, that we think God places on us, like you got to prove yourself, we miss the good news that's right there. There's a whole lot of people that have gone to church and left church. To, I get my inbox blows up with with questions and comments and thoughts from people who have been burned by church and in the chaos of whatever happened to make that happen the piece that was missing that should have been right there all along like was grace it's grace we got to get a better picture of it because too often our picture of god is really not a picture of god at all it's a picture of religion without grace and the challenge I find myself trying to overcome as we are a church that isn't for you first, that we are a church, we're not for, I hope you have an awesome time here. We do our best to make this a space where you are loved from the moment you drive into our soaking wet parking lot till you get in here. We make it a space that we hope that you experience your loved. But the biggest challenge we face is that we're not a church for you first. We're a church for Jesus first. We're a church for this county. We're a church for your friends and family who don't go to church. And their biggest struggle is their picture of church and their picture of God is a picture of religion without grace. It's Christianity without what makes it Christianity. C.S. Lewis was rolling into this um, council in England. <laughs> Could even remember where it was for a second. It was a council on religions. I don't know if you know this, C.S. Lewis. He's a famous author, Christian author. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which is probably his most famous books. That's from the movie, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all those those movies are great movies, and they're from his books. And what maybe you don't know about C.S. Lewis is that he wrote a ton of theological books, Christian living books. He was a, he's been in, and was and is and still is an incredible voice on in the Christian movement, helping us understand uh, the God that we're trying to learn about and follow. Awesome dude. And he was also a professor in some pretty big colleges in. England, he rolled into one of these councils where all of these really intellectual people were hanging out and they were discussing world religions. The topic they were gathered together to discuss is what makes Christianity unique? Now that's a question y'all high schoolers are going to have to wrestle with in a world where we sometimes get the message that, I say this with love, that everything's the same. That everybody's journey towards God is the same. All religions are the same. Listen, nothing would make my heart happier than knowing that everybody ends up in the same kind of glory and awesome place that I know I'm going to end up through the faith that I have. Nothing would make me happier, but it's just not reality. They're not all the same. They're not. And so C.S. Lewis, he, they, these Christian theologians, because you can be really smart and miss what's right in front of you. 
they were arguing about what makes Christianity unique. And so somebody's like, the virgin birth is what makes Christianity unique. I don't know if this is like going to pop your bubble, but it's Christianity is not the only religion that you find a virgin birth being claimed. I believe it's where the only true virgin birth actually happened irrefutably, but it's not the only claim out there. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, somebody said, it's about resurrection from the dead. And while I believe that our empty grave is the only one that is an empty grave and the only one that has stood the test of time after voice after voice has tried to discredit it, you still, know, you still should know, like, let's not be naive about it. It's not the only religion that claims the empty grave. And so these guys are getting all twisted up, not about the reliability of our story, but about what makes Christianity unique. C.S. Lewis, he rolls into this meeting late because he, that's just how he rolled. And he comes into this meeting late and he enters this room where all these really intellectual people are, are arguing with each other and fighting with each other. And he says, what's all the fuss about? I don't have an English accent. Uh, every time I try to do English accent, it comes out like Australian, you know, like, what's all the fuss about, mate? Like, I can't do an English. I know people that can do an English accent, but I can't do an English accent very good. So he rolls in and he's like, I'm not even going to try because it's going to be really bad. It'll come out. <laughs> okay, so he rolls in and he's like, what's all the fuss about? And they're like, we're, they're, they're, they tell him we're trying to find what's unique about Christianity. And we've been debating it for hours. And he says, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And all the other people in the room said, huh. You're right. It's grace. Now, now, here's what grace is, and you need to write this down. Like, don't get this wrong. It is the unmerited favor of God towards you. Towards everybody else, too. But the problem we struggle with is realizing that that grace is to us. The reason you struggle with your identity and who you are, and you base your identity on what other people say about you, is because you struggle finding that this grace is for you. Because when you understand that grace is for you, and from God Almighty, what other people say about you doesn't really matter anymore. The reason that you are living a performance-based life trying to please everybody around you, feeling like your significance comes from what you do, is because we struggle with this grace thing connecting with us. You see, when you really understand that the God of the universe extends its unmerited favor towards you, you know you don't have to earn it. I spent my entire life trying to prove it. I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. He's still on staff here. Just keeps going. Thank God. <laughs> and, you know, my experience in church was a different, difficult one. I felt like my life was spent trying to prove it to prove myself to everybody I met. This wasn't placed on me by anybody. It was just internal. I felt like I had to be good at church when I was at church so that the old church people would love me, right? <laughs> I was an expert at doing this. You know this because some of you all do this, right? Like, You all do that. Don't act like I'm a, you all, you know, like you got, a, you got masks on, so now you're out of practice. But when we take those masks off sometime this year, 
some of y'all who are good at faking the worship part are going to have to learn your lip, lip skill. We should have a lip sync battle at an event sometime because I guarantee you it would be a heated competition. I was perfect at that. I knew what to say, when to say it. I spent my entire time trying to prove myself. And when you start trying to prove yourself, when you're talking about your relationship with God, it easily turns into this whole idea that i got to prove myself to God to earn the gift he's given me. That's not really a gift. If you've struggled with performing or perfectionism, if shame is what you feel when you think about God, if your life is driven by guilt, if you feel like there are standards that you just never can meet in life, if you feel like you're never good enough, if you feel like you can never earn it, if you feel like you can never get this Christian thing right, if you feel like you're a loser because you keep sinning the same sins over and over and over again, if you carry that burden of an identity that has been twisted by those things, it's because you, like I, struggle understanding and accepting and living in. God's unmerited favor towards you. It means he loves you. It means he doesn't just love you, he likes you. Because we all know there's people we love but we don't like. You know? <laughs> Some of y'all were like, thank goodness they threw out that whole don't gather for Thanksgiving because I'm going to uninvite all the people that I love but I don't like. <laughs> he loves you and he likes you. That's God's heart for you. And people have difficult times and struggles and like, man, Caleb's car accident or things falling apart in their marriages, um, financial trouble, sickness. And the first question that pops into their mind that they ask me is, am I being punished? What did I do? Am I cursed? Maybe you've never said that out loud, but my guess is you probably asked that at some point. And it's because we struggle accepting and owning this incredible gift of God's unmerited favor towards you, towards me. And you don't have to prove it. You don't have to earn it. Unmerited. I've heard other theologians, I use that one because I think it captures all of the other ones, but I've heard theologians uh, use three different types of words to communicate that same truth. And if you like long definitions, you can use this definition. If you like short definitions, you can use my definition. Here you go. It is God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor towards me. Say, say that part when you think it in your head. Don't say towards you, towards me. Romans 11.6 says, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. If you're trying to earn it, you're not earning grace. You're trying to prove something different. If you're, if you're trying to earn it, you can't earn it. 
Earning it would mean that you're chasing something different than grace. Grace can't be earned. Romans 3, 24. And those of you that are freaking out like about the, what about Romans 3, 23? We'll get to that part next week, okay? Like just for now, Romans 3, 23. 24, shoot. We beat ourselves up too. Like I just realized, you know, sometimes I say shoot and nuts, and I probably said like <laughs> from the pulpit, and I'll go home and I'll be like, man, that was the worst. I can't believe I said crap in a sermon. Like I'm the worst pastor ever. And you know what's missing from that equation? Grace. We do it all the time. Thank you for showing grace to a pastor who wears pink shoes sometimes. See, I'm making you all practice this. And who doesn't say all of the right things all of the time. Um, thank you. I love you, by the way. Let's not make this cheesy. Because church shouldn't be cheesy either. Ready? Ready? Okay. And then Ephesians. Oh, I never read 324. I told you it was a struggle bus. And all are justified freely by his grace. I don't even know what time I'm supposed to end right now. I'm just not even paying attention. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. We're going to dive deep into that part in a week or two. It's, you're justified freely by grace. See, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't merit it. Being good doesn't get it for you. It's just a gift. It's God's stance towards you. It's his heart towards you. It's his eyes towards you. He loves you unconditionally. And grace means that there's nothing. Some of y'all need to hear this because you've been trying to do everything. You need to hear this. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. His love is perfect towards you because of grace. It's why we tear up and talk about grace and those that, that understand it, that have had a heart encounter with grace, it's why it's overwhelming to think about. It's why they would tell you that there is no better news. If you've looked at church like it's less than good news, if you've looked at God like He is less than good news, if you've walked away, if you've struggled, if you've been burned by church, what's been missing is grace, and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus had just finished teaching on the mountain, and we often consider this series of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. It's likely that he probably went up a number of times to teach on the Sermon of the Mount. It could have been one sermon, it could have been multiple, but he was going to the same place in the beginning of Matthew to teach over and over and over again uh, some really just changing stuff. He's breaking down some religious thoughts about God that were void of grace. He was changing their view of how they should measure themselves in Matthew. And he was essentially pointing to the idea, if you read it, we're not going to read the whole Sermon on the Mount right now, but this is like a, 
a theme of it, that no matter how good you are, you can't do it. That you need something besides your ability. That's why it's like, hey, it's not just like if you murder somebody, if it's if you think about murdering somebody. Guess what? I thought about murdering somebody on the way here. Right? Like, I can't do it. Not really. Just thought really bad things about them, not murder. Same point, though. It's not one thing to commit adultery. It's the same if you just, right? Like, that Sermon on the Mount's hard. You just lust after, like, somebody. Like, he's setting the bar, like, showing a different paradigm about how to relate to God. And the message he's pointing to is grace. And then in Matthew, it captures the story. Jesus was coming down the mountainside. Imagine the large crowd following him. Of all these people who were keen on learning something from him. They were keen on getting some, doing some spiritual work. I'm going to grow a little bit. I'm going to listen to this prophet. Nobody knew who he was yet. They didn't understand what was going on. They just thought these teachings were new and different and cool. And maybe like, let's do church a little different this week. Let's go up on the mountain, listen to Jesus. And they were up there listening to him teach all of these absolutely incredible things and then I imagine off in the corner maybe on the edge hidden behind some bushes somewhere was this one guy who was keenly listening in and what he was hearing from Jesus was something absolutely different than he had ever heard in church before absolutely different than anything he had ever experienced in religion before absolutely different than anything he had ever heard about this God before and he's listening in as these crowds gather around Jesus and they're hearing him teach all of these absolutely incredible messages recorded for us in Matthew. He's listening in from a distance. You see, this guy, he was a leper. And I don't know if you know much about leprosy back then, but that meant that he was a social outcast and a spiritual outcast. He was unclean, and the other accounts in Scripture tell us that he was covered in leprosy. It wasn't a new case. There was no fix for it. It was just going to keep getting worse, and he had been living with the burden of this disease in his skin for a really long time. And so for a really long time, he felt like he didn't belong in anything. He didn't belong with people. He didn't belong with with church. He couldn't go to church. The, the view in that time of someone with leprosy is that they were a social outcast, but even deeper than that, they were a spiritual outcast. They viewed them as being cursed by God. That's why they had leprosy after all. Ridiculous, right? But maybe, maybe we still do that. Maybe not on that scale. But maybe we still can look another human being in the eyes and think, and heaven forbid, sometimes say something that communicates that they've been rejected by God and there's nothing they can do about it. So here he sits, right? Like he would have to, whenever he was around somebody, yell, Out, unclean, unclean. That was what was required by law of someone with leprosy. Some of you know that, like he would walk into town or have to do something or if people would come close to him, he'd have to shout out, unclean, 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 unclean. Your heart shout that sometimes. 
unclean, unclean, and everybody would get out of his way. Can you imagine the difficulty of life? Not only not being able to see the people you love, not being able to be with people that you care about, but also knowing that everybody that looks at you thinks that you have been cursed and rejected by God, that God hates you. But he's listening to Jesus from the outskirts and he's hearing something completely different. I wonder at what moment in the teaching did it spark in this guy's brain that maybe there was hope for him and maybe this Jesus had hope. He's listening in and Jesus starts to leave and I would imagine the panic as, as he realized that he's been engulfed in listening to this teaching and this teacher for a really long time and his opportunity is about to slip away. What if I never have a chance to see this Jesus up close and personal? What if he has what I need? What if he can do for me what I can't do for me? What if he can help restore me? I, I don't, I, I'm out of options, but maybe this Jesus has Hope for me. The crowd's bustling with excitement, all like paparazzi Jesus as he heads down the hill trying to get his attention. I deserve his attention. I sat here for all the sermons. I deserve his attention. Man, I've gone to temple. I'm a good Christian. I deserve, like, maybe he can do this. You know, maybe, maybe I should, you know, like, whatever. They're, they're all bustling down around him, and this guy decides that this is his moment. And he busts out from wherever he was hiding in the background, and he rushes in front of Jesus, and he falls down on his knees. And in Matthew 8, it, re, he, it, it records what he says. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There's a large crowd following him. Could you imagine the reaction of the large crowd? This guy didn't yell, unclean, unclean. So they're like judgmentally looking at him, like grabbing the kids and hiding them behind them. You know, like let's get everybody backs up. There's an audible gasp from the people that are around Jesus. There should never be an audible gasp from us. When someone who thinks they're unclean decides to give Jesus a shot. What you have in the crowd is a picture of religion without grace. And what you have in the question from the man with leprosy is a request from something different. He doesn't say, Jesus, if I'm willing, would you make me clean? So why do we say that all the time? Jesus, if I do my devotionals, will you bless me? If I go to church Sunday, will you give me favor? If I clean up my life, will this never happen again? I promise I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. I just need your favor. I just need your grace. It's the wrong question. The leper falls down in front of Jesus, and here you have the intersection of religion without grace and grace. Here you have an example of, for by grace you are saved through faith. Faith helps us see what's been missing all along. Faith reminds us that it's been on the dresser. We just haven't been paying attention to it. It's faith that helps us see what we have been longing for, what our heart has been searching for, what has been missing, what, what, who God is. He says, Jesus, if you're willing, 
You can make me clean. All I got is faith. And all I can do is crash. And hope. For grace. And here this outcast is. Y'all have these, y'all have people that, some of you, you, if you are being truly honest with yourself, you would say, I feel like that leper. Some of you, if you're being truly honest, would say, I'm more like the crowd. And here you have this beautiful picture of grace. Then I V-jacks this up a little bit. There's all the King James Version people in the house are like, yeah, it's about time. Right, like, we knew it all along. He looks at him with compassion. When you really understand the Greek and the parallel accounts. It's compassion on the face of Jesus. And he says, I am willing. Man, he would prove that. Wouldn't he prove that? We're going to talk about how he proved that in the next couple weeks. I am willing. What an understatement from Jesus. Oh, it's true. He's willing to make you clean, to fix your broken heart, to help you experience his love and grace. He's willing to grow you into who you need to be. He's willing to be there for you in the midst of everything. And there's nothing you can do to earn it, to merit it. His favor is free. And it's for me. He loves me. And he likes me. And I'm willing. It's true. But when you see the whole picture, I don't know if there's a greater understatement In all of history, I'm willing. And he reaches out and he makes this man clean. Listen, there's no points to this. There's no like, just get the definition of grace. And here's what you do with grace. You lean into it. You crash in front of it. If you've been carrying a burden of I have to prove it to others or I have to prove it to God, if you've been carrying the burden of trying to earn favor with God, if you've been wrestling with the guilt because you think you're not good enough for God, if you've been carrying shame because you can't let go of stuff and really bask in the forgiveness that he offers you, if you're not holding on to any of that, what you need to do is just say, that's enough of me. I need more of him. I'm going to stop asking the question, if I'm willing, will you? I'm going to start asking the question with every breath I have, every day that I can. Are you willing? And I'm going to know that when I look up, I must see the face of a God who is perfectly represented in God the flesh, Jesus Christ, looking at me with compassion and extending a hand to me no matter how I feel about myself, no matter what anybody else says about me. A hand of grace that says, I'm willing, let's go all you can do with grace is throw yourself on it, accept the free gift, dive into it, and try to start your heart on a journey where you are committed 
to spending a lifetime getting to know this God who loves you and likes you no matter who you are. Let's pray. God, amazing grace. Man, some old saints humming that one. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. <laughs> Had leprosy, but now I see. I know those aren't the words. <laughs> I'm just saying. I got nothing. We got nothing without your grace. As we jump into these next couple weeks, would you help us to dive deeper into hey, what Jesus really meant when he said, I'm willing. What this really good news is. Help us not to miss it in the distractions, the pressure. Help us not to miss it in the churchy stuff of church. Help us not to miss it in religion. Just grace through faith. In Jesus' name, amen.